know I promised, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 70 Be pleased, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those who seek my life be put to shame and confounded. Let those who take pleasure in my misfortune misfortune draw back and be disgraced. Let those who say to me, Aha, and gloat over me turn back because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say forever, Great is the Lord. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come to me quickly, O God. You are my helper and my deliverer. O Lord, do not tarry. Amen. A reading from Ezekiel 45. When you allot the land as an inheritance, you shall set apart for the Lord a portion of the land as a holy district. 25,000 cubits long and 20,000 cubits broad. It shall be holy throughout its whole extent. Of this, a square plot of 500 by 500 cubits shall be for the sanctuary, with 50 cubits for an open space around it. And from this measured district, you shall measure off a section 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 broad, in which shall be the sanctuary, the most holy place. It shall be the holy portion of the land. It shall be for the priests who minister in the sanctuary and approach the Lord to minister to him. And it shall be a place for their houses and a holy place for the sanctuary. Another section, 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 cubits broad, shall be for the Levites who minister at the temple as their possession for cities to live in. Alongside the portion set apart as the holy district, you shall assign for the property of the city an area 5,000 cubits broad and 25,000 cubits long. It shall belong to the whole house of Israel. And to the prince shall belong the land on both sides of the holy district and the property of the city alongside the holy district and the property of the city on the west and on the east, corresponding in length to one of the tribal portions and extending from the western to the eastern boundary of the land. It is to be his property in Israel, and my princes shall no more oppress my people, but they shall let the house of Israel have the land according to their tribes. Thus says the Lord God, Enough, O princes of Israel, put away violence and oppression and execute justice and righteousness. Cease your evictions of my people, declares the Lord God. You shall have just balances, a just ephah, a just bath. The ephah and the bath shall be of the same measure, the bath containing one-tenth of a homer and the ephah one-tenth of a homer. The homer shall be the standard measure. The shekel shall be twenty geras, twenty shekels plus twenty-five shekels plus fifteen shekels shall be your mina. This is the offering that you shall make. One-sixth of an ephah from each homer of wheat and one-sixth of an ephah from each homer of barley. And as the fixed portion of oil measured in baths, one-tenth of a bath from each core, The core, like the homer, contains ten baths, and one sheep from every flock of two hundred from the watering places of Israel for for grain offering, burnt offering, and peace offerings to make atonement for them, declares the Lord God. All the people 
of the land shall be obliged to give this offering to the prince in Israel. It shall be the prince's duty to furnish the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the feasts, the new moons and the Sabbaths, all appointed feasts of the house of Israel. He shall provide the sin offering, grain offering, burnt offering, and peace offerings to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I read a little bit more than I wanted to there. <laughs> I, I wasn't exactly wanting to get into all the ephahs and all that stuff. But this section in the text is now dealing with what is the land going to look like around the, the sanctuary? We, we talked about the inheritance last time. Well, what is that going to look like? And, and first, he, he talks about the holy district, right? The, the portion uh, of the land uh, set apart for the Lord of the land as a holy district, 25,000 cubits long and 20,000 cubits broad, and it shall be holy throughout its whole extent. And the thing that we, uh, that we want to be thinking of here is that this is something you shall set apart for the Lord, a portion. This is something that belongs to the Lord. A, a principle that you want to get in your head is that anything that belongs to God is holy. Anything that belongs to God is set apart. Anything that belongs to God is made perfect. It is his. It belongs to him. Now, what if we extend that out? Whose are you, church? Who do you belong to? We're told in the scriptures multiple times by Paul, you have been bought at a price, that Christ has redeemed you, meaning you belong to somebody else. Now you belong to him. So if you now belong to the Lord, your holiness, your holiness is not tied to your moral uh, do-gooderness. It is not tied to how moral you're feeling or how great you are feeling in your morality or, or the, the, your own personal sanctification that you are able to do. Your holiness is tied to the one who bought you. And if God has bought you, then you are holy. There's no need for this, this horrible heresy that we have of, uh, well, there, no sin can, go, can belong in heaven, so you better purge all your sin. We, we hear that even from evangelicals in this country, American evangelicalism, that somehow you have to be righteous and holy on your own or else you can't be close to a holy God. Uh, yeah, God is holy. He's set apart. But if he sets you apart for himself, then he's made you holy. He's made you righteous. Our holiness or our righteousness, our do-gooderness in this world has nothing to do with our relationship to God. It has everything to do with the fact that we want to love our neighbor. That should change things for you. That, that your doing good has nothing to do with you being perfect or special or being a good Christian. It has everything to do with you just loving your neighbor. Well, the second section that I want to take a look at here is the fact that, um, if you notice, they talk about all these different these different uh, uh, measurements. That five hundred by five hundred cubits shall be for the sanctuary, with cubits uh, fifty cubits for an open space around it, and then all around this this sanctuary area is land given to the Levites um, for living. Notice that the sanctuary is at the center of all things. That the sanctuary, the holy place, shall be the center of the life of the people. It's this call, church, for us to have Christ at the center of our being. God at the center of our lives. That all things uh, 
uh, spin around what he does in us and for us. That, that other things that we put in the place of God there at the center of our life are going to trip us up. They're not going to make us uh, uh, holy. They're not going to make us good. Um, and and they're going to distract us from all sorts of other things. Uh, but, but here specifically land is set aside in particular for the priests and the Levites, those who minister, those who do the ministry work. They, they are kept close to the work of the sanctuary. No longer will they be scattered to the four winds and the tribes and have to make their way down to Jerusalem. There, they will have their place and they will have a quote-unquote inheritance, meaning right there around by the sanctuary. That is, that is a big thing to be able to place the, the ministers there so that there's, there's no distractions. It's something for me, church. And if you're a pastor listening to this, where are you in your life, in your daily life of keeping God at the center of all things? We, we've, we're, we've begun Lent here. The first Sunday of Lent was this last Sunday, just, just yesterday. How are we as ministers keeping God at the center of our lives? Are we doing Bible reading and reading of our own accord to build up our souls so that we can build up the souls of others? It's one of the things that that, uh, Eugene Peterson talks about in his book, The Contemplative Pastor, where he talks about how as pastors, uh, we need to be nurturing our own, own souls and paid to do so, or else we are not going to be able to, uh, minister to our people properly, that that's what we need to do. Keeping God at the center of all things helps us then point people to that. And then I like in verse six, alongside the portion set apart as the holy district, you shall assign for the property of a city an area 5,000 cubits broad and 25,000 cubits long. It shall belong to the whole house of Israel. And I'm sitting there going, is this a park? Is this public land? What you read in some of the commentators, and it was a place for people who could not afford a house to put up their tent or whatnot. I don't know. I think that's interesting that God is setting aside this place to say, no, you're going to have this place in which it's going to be public land for the people of the city, that they can be walking near the sanctuary and not necessarily have to go into it. Um, And then beginning at verse seven on down here, we have this whole uh, section that's set apart for the prince, right? Uh, And to the prince shall belong the land on both sides of the holy district and property of the city. So, so meaning this, this big square that has been made uh, between the, the sanctuary area, the, the space for the priests, the space for the Levites, and then this, this public land area, well, now the, the, the prince shall have this land all around there. Um, and it on the west and the east, corresponding to the length in length to one of the tribal portions and extending from the western to eastern boundary of the land is to be his property in Israel. And here it says, and my princes shall no more oppress my people, but they shall let the house of Israel have the land according to their tribes. Meaning that, yes, the prince is going to be given this property. But no longer is he to uh, see himself as Lord over all the land, which is interesting. It, I, I think that's interesting because what it's what it's saying is that oppression is going to cease because he's going to take out of the hands of, of the leadership the opportunity to oppress. In which, uh, for instance, in our country, uh, we get taxed on everything. 
And sometimes we get double taxed. We get taxed on inheritance when that stuff was already taxed too, right? Um, where, where the government tends to see what we have is basically theirs, right? Property tax, all of those things, that it's not necessarily ours. And that's where some oppression can, uh, can, can be an issue. But here it's, uh, I, I equate this to allowing people to have the promise that the, that the prince's job is going to be to hand over the promise because instead of oppressing, What's he going to do? He's going to allow people to have their land, that they're going to be able to cling to the land, cling to the promise that God has given. Here, uh, Christ is going to be, as our prince, his his job, in, instead of uh, telling us that we've got to give this sacrifice and we have to do this sacrifice and we have to do this thing, instead, his job is to hand over the promise that there's nothing that we can sacrifice to God that somehow is going to appease him. There's nothing that we can give to God that is going to somehow make him love us more because everything belongs to him anyways, right? And I think when we when we think of God in that way, when we think of Christ in that way, we think of him as an oppressive ta- taskmaster. We're just slaves to him in which we have to keep him happy or else. But instead, what Christ's job is going to do is that he's going to be the one handing over the promise. He he says uh, in verse uh, 9, cease your evictions of my people. Uh, That that, um, the only thing I could think of was the quote, when the son of man is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. Instead of casting people out, Christ is going to be drawing people in. Instead of the prince here now, um, evicting people from their land because he decides, well, I want this vineyard or I want this land and I'm the prince. So you give it to me. Instead, people are going to be allowed to, to, uh, glory in the promise that God has given them. Christ being the one who hands over the promise and allows us to glory in what it is that he gives to us as his promise to us and that it is his work of drawing people to him through the cross drawing people to him through the promise drawing people to him through grace and mercy rather than condemnation and oppressive uh, uh, dictatorship and then there's this conversation about offerings right we read we read through that but uh, i think a place uh, two things that we need to see here. Number one is that the people are, are having to bring these offerings for a reason because they're sinners, right? They're, they bring, we bring to God our sin that we, every time an animal or something was brought, it was like, well, I'm a sinner. It's just like coming forward for communion. When you come forward for communion, you're reminding everybody that, that you are a sinner, that, that you are in need of God's mercy. You are in need of Christ's death on your behalf. Well, here in verse 17, it shall be the prince's duty to furnish the burnt offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings at the feast, the new moons and the Sabbaths and all the appointed feasts. He shall provide all those offerings to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. How could this not be a Jesus passage? Seriously, that it's the prince's duty to furnish these offerings and everything that yes, the people will be uh, the, the offerings from the land that the prince has is going to going to be given and, and um, and here it's it's uh, this this sense uh, of bringing forward all of these these things, but the people are the one uh, be, they give the offering to the prince, and then the prince is in charge of of making sure that that these offerings are made. But I sit here and I read this verse seventeen, and I just think of Christ on the cross for us that he's the one that it's his responsibility to make sure that the offerings are made. 
that the sacrifices are done. And here what he does is he takes all our sin and takes all our shame and he gives us his righteousness and he gives himself up for us and to us, giving himself away that we might be his, that we might be made at one with him and the Lord. The passage, the chapter eventually goes on to talk about um, in the first month, on the first day of the month, you shall take a bull from the herd without blemish and purify the sanctuary. Basically saying happy new year, that that every new year uh, begins with blood. Every new year begins with this focus on on, uh, purification, this blood coming to wash us clean. Um, and then, uh, that the blood's going to be put on the doorposts of the gate as, as you enter into the inner court, reminding you of what is done, kind of like Passover, reminding you of what the Lord is going to do, that he passes over you because of the blood of someone else, of Christ. Uh, and then, uh, Verse 22, on that day, this feast of the Passover and unleavened bread, on that day the the prince shall provide for himself and all the people of the land a young bull for a sin offering. That that throughout this remembrance of all these things that God has done in the past, in Passover, the new year, all those things, we're reminded of all of this work done to redeem us and to make us his own. That is the work of Christ for us. It's crazy to sit here and read in Ezekiel and Christ just jumps out of the pages to you. It should, church. That's how you need to read your Old Testament. Look in there and find these places. When you read your New Testament, start thinking of of, uh, where these passages link up in the the Old Testament that... uh, you know, for instance, when it when it talks about how the the just scales and everything is going to work out the way it is, um, where no one is going to have uh, unjust scales, that that uh, the the measurements of the different things, the baths and the ephahs and all those things, that whole section that I read. Um, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, that whole section that I read, you shall have just balances, a just ephah and a just bath. The ephah and the bath shall be of the same measure. The bath containing one-tenth of a homer. Um, the homer shall be the standard measure. All these things. I couldn't help but think of the parable of the vineyard workers. Where where a lord of a vineyard comes and he uh, he hires workers to go into his vineyard and at the beginning of the day. And every watch of the day, every three hours or so, he goes and he finds more and more and more. And finally, at the last day, at last moment, an hour before the day is done, he finds more and he sends them into the vineyard and says, I'll pay you whatever I'll pay you. And then he ends up at the end of the day paying everybody the same. And the people who worked all day get upset because they're like, we deserve more because we've slaved all our lives. And he says, I, is it not, am I not just in being able to do with this however I want to? That those who who I called at the end of their life, are are they not more uh, in need of grace than you? We're all in need of it. This sense of that the standard measure of what God is going to give out to us is going to be the same. That his grace is always free. His mercy is always uh, the, the goodness and love and compassion he has for us. Let us pray. Lord God, our strength... The struggle between good and evil rages within and around us, and the devil and all the forces that defy you tempt us with empty promises. Keep us steadfast in your word, and when we fall, raise us again and restore us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
Well, church, happy Lent to you. I pray that you are having a good Lent. I wonder what sort of things you've given up and what sort of things you've taken on. Uh, Prayers that it goes well for you. Maybe pray the litany. Uh, you can find it online. Just type in the litany and you'll find it and you could you can pray that every day, maybe even as a family. But uh, mercies be with you, uh, with you all and continue to share this with others. We've been seeing such a high level of downloads and listens. It's been awesome. But uh, go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.